Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a big gamey episode of Las Vegas's <laughs> most delicious podcast, Food and Loathing, coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, just days before Super Bowl LVIII. And that, of course, is LV for Las Vegas and III for what a party we're having. Oh, gosh, yes. I'm your host, Al Mancini, a 20-year veteran Las Vegas food writer and the creator of the Neon Feast Restaurant Guide app and website, which is kind of like Yelp, but without the assholes, featuring restaurant recommendations from local chefs, restaurateurs, journalists, critics, and influencers in over 100 categories. My partner's wow. in the project. As always, um, well, no, usually we have our co-host, the creator of Wishbone and Vine Food Block, Samantha Gemini Steven. She is out sick because it's that time of year where somebody's always going to be sick if you have a three-person podcast yeah. team. So we're sending love to her. Rich Johnson, back from being sick, although you seem, <laughs> you seem to be in a bit of a funk, my friend. I want to break you out of that today. But yeah. I'm talking, of course, about the extraordinary Rich Johnson. Weather in the Midwest has delayed trucking coming west which means the parts for my car to fix it are like two weeks still away. So I'm massively depressed that my I've spent more time with my brand new car not having it than I have having it. That sucks. Somebody that give does. Richard a ride. Somebody come and just drive him around places. <laughs> um, well, no, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. Um, that so that's why I'm in a cranky mood. Another uh, couple hundred bucks head to, you know, shipped to enterprise this week for the weekend oh that sucks man i'm sorry to hear that uh so yeah well yeah the rest of this town is very excited this week um the rest yeah. of this town is on fire um las vegas has super bowl fever and we will talk i suppose about a few super bowl related things that are happening but i'm gonna be honest with you i've never followed football in my life i'm not gonna start now just so i can say i was cool enough to score invites to all the right parties i will be covering some community outreach stories um happening around this game you'll hear about them next week maybe a few of them today um some of us will certainly be invited to a few of the high profile parties but i really didn't reach out to try to get on all the right guest list because well honestly because i got over my guest list and red carpet fomo about a decade <laughs> or two ago and I've been, um yeah. yeah there's a lot of that right rich i mean isn't it all this week is what party are you going to which yeah. event are you going to i have covered about a dozen super bowls over the last 25 years 
uh, for radio, for a website I used to have, and a couple just freeloading. And it's always a good time. And I thought about maybe reaching out to a couple of friends. You know, maybe I can do some work for you for the credentials and see what is supposed to be the largest radio row ever, like 160 different uh, stations, but also podcasters. And I thought, well, hell, I should have done that for a podcast here. But I just decided to dial it down and stay away and I'll watch it on TV. I was bereft over the weekend with no football other than some weird ass all-star <laughs> game and flag football. So uh, like most of America, we'll have a little withdrawal symptom after Sunday, but uh, you know, not cars around the corner. Not at all for me. No withdrawal. Um, but, but you know, hey, here's the deal. I'm also not sure there may be a party or two that I did RSVP for that. I'm uh-huh. still not sure if I can go. So I may call you and see if you want to go to one or two of those. I know I've got an event tonight that I'm going to that I just found out I was confirmed for yesterday. So there are a few things. But honestly, people, if you want a big game themed show, a super duper bowl show, you're going to have to find it somewhere else. We talk about food here. There's a lot of food around this, but I've just spent so many fucking years where I had to be at every major event on every red carpet in every press room. And. I care so little about football that I'm I'm sitting this one out intentionally. Um, there have- is another big sporting event, well, big in quotes, uh, in town uh, as we drop this episode. The Live mm. Golf Tour. It's second. Yeah, event of the you want to golf it's by famous. professional murder, underwritten by the murder family of Saudi Arabia. Woohoo! Let's do that. Well, you know, everybody has their price, and mine is uh, shrimp cocktails, so I'm going to the VIP tent. I will have been to the VIP tent by the time this episode drops because the the voice of Liv, Arlo White, is an old good friend. And so he says, come and hang out. I say, okay, I'll come and hang out. Uh, man, look, man, you know, look. It's a mercy hang. So we we all do our things where we deal with unethical people at some point or level. It's just, you know, where I'm personally going to draw my line is if you murder fucking journalists, then maybe I won't promote your events. It's just sort of that. I call that a self-preservation instinct. And I honestly would like you to maybe ask every journalist that's there how they feel about promoting somebody who feels the right to fucking murder them if they say bad things about him. But I'll let that go at that. Or we can cut this whole piece out. No, man, I don't mind leaving it in there. Look, yeah. I, look, if you're having fun out there this weekend, that's that's awesome. Have, we'll have a blast. We all draw our own lines. Um, but no, I don't have Liv as a sponsor. Yeah. I got no reason to kiss their ass. <laughs> and if they want to write me a trillion dollar check like they wrote every golfer, then we'll see if I'm a sellout. But as now, I say, I, I, I got nothing. So I got no reason to kiss their asses now. So um, the answer to all one. your questions is money. That's it pretty much the lesson for life. Yeah, it seems to be, man. And look, I, and I, look, I'm gonna. This doesn't apply to food, but I will say I have the same thing with food. Like, if you want to boycott Chick Fil A, I get it. And yeah. if you don't want to boycott Chick Fil A, that's none of my business. You know, if if people, we all make our own moral decisions. We all make our own ethical decisions, and how much, you know, food I can keep down <laughs> when I'm in a <laughs> yeah, place yeah, when I know yeah. what they've done. So how much um, alcohol you know, I can keep just, down. Yeah, that's just my um my personal thoughts on that one. And I'm not going to be afraid to say it because, hey, I can. They're yeah. not sponsoring me in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and I don't have a boss. So, so what's what on the I podcast today? Yeah, we have a lot of interesting interviews. First of all, we're going to miss Gemini, and it does suck that she's not around here. Yeah. But um, I will say that um, we have a ton of material here, so it's going to be a little less talking, a lot more playing. It's going to center around a nice long conversation about cooking with cannabis with recent collaborators, Max Jacobson Freed of Freed's Bakery and Matthew Jans of the Source Dispensaries. Also a slightly short, slightly shorter talk in our center of the show with um, Stephen Jerome of St. Honory talking about their new pizzas of all things. Oh, yeah. Beyond that, 
we've got news. We've got some short conversations with Chef Alessandro Madera of Azura Cochina, Chef Stephanie Sanfried of Haleo, Chef Joe Comiskey of Alexis, Circus Sam Pulliam, and Top Golf's Robert Lamelli, a golf <laughs> organization that, as far as I know, never killed any journalists, so, nor did yeah. any of their, um, their okay. predecessors. Point taken. You don't really like me saying that, do you? There. No, no. I'm I'm all <laughs> I'm all for that transparency, and I freely acknowledge that. But I'm still going to eat their shrimp cocktails, and I, and I'm not going to judge you for it. But I yeah. got to take some of my shots, you know. <laughs> Especially, um, I'm going to make sure I drink the liquor and have the shrimp cocktails because you know, shellfish, I believe, is also banned in the Muslim faith, and certainly alcohol is banned in the Muslim faith. Right. So you'll be taking the Saudi prince's money yeah. to spend it on things that he doesn't let his own people have. Yeah. Well, he's giving it to me. Who am I to say he's, no? He's paying for it, man. Heck, oh, okay. like Enough I said, man, we all, yeah, yeah. we all make our own our own choices, and I don't yeah, judge yeah. other people's on that, certainly. And I don't expect I, I got in trouble with one of our mutual friends for covering up hot food eating contest at a restaurant that oh, she yeah. had gripes with the background of the family. So it, it happens that we yep, all have yep, to deal yep. with it. And, I, and I, I am talking about it because I do think it's worth just mentioning that. Yeah, we all we all have our things, right? We all have our one thing. Like that's the one I'm not yeah. going to do. That's the one I'm not going to do. But we all can't agree on what our one thing is, and I don't judge. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but more importantly, man, let's um let's spend some time discussing where and what we've been eating. Rich, why don't you start us off? Yeah, this week? short short bit for me because after a week of being buried in podcast and rain, the the car in the shop and general malaise, I did force myself to get out a couple of hours ago as we record this for one nice lunch, so I have something to discuss. And you know, I need to get back to Marche Bacchus and revisit the whole French fries thing. And you told yeah, me I don't know no. if we talked about that on the air, but I do want to give their response. So they wanted me to yeah. let you know that they do not extrude their fries. They've never extruded their All fries. Right. They have experimented with some new products. They're sorry if you've got a product that you didn't like, but they're back to the ones that are the classics and they want you in to have those. I fries. will definitely do that. I, I've never turned down a French fry, extruded or not. Uh, this no, time, no. though, I went to Oulala. For a wonderful three-course prefix lunch in the strip mall at Rampart and Lake Mead. 35 bucks got me a deep, rich bowl of onion soup, a smoked salmon sandwich on a croissant, and a chocolate mousse dessert. Sandwiches, a couple layers of the fish, creme fraiche and capers. The mousse, to my inexperienced palate, found that sweet spot, so to speak, <laughs> between milk and dark chocolate. Service, uh, very attentive, not overwhelming, which was uh, not difficult, considering there are only nine of us in the place for lunch this is a small place of what is it 40 seats maybe and yeah. um, they do the classics they do the poulet they do the uh, steak fritz uh, the bavette and uh the onion soup and a few other things and uh alas the first couple of times i was there i did not have a great experience one of them was not really their uh fault because it was busy and we walked in and so we got the table next to the door and it was january and every time the door opened we froze our nipples off uh, and also they messed up the steak and they came out and admitted it. Uh, sorry, somebody had to leave and they're like, then I burned and we're going to do it again. I appreciate that. But it was like 40 minutes between starter and, and entree. But that said, it's a good classic little French place. Mod more modest than Marche Bacchus, but, but uh, worth your while. And it was worth my while today. Oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. that. A uh, bit about covering the Super Bowl. I said I've done that about a dozen times. 
there's always writers in town from everywhere, producers, radio, TV, web folks looking for nice places. Usually it's fast food or it's the free buffet. Sometimes those are fewer and farther between. I have directed a couple of friends to the Neon Feast app, so it's Thank you. lost. And uh, I may get to the strip or maybe not. I Like I said, I'm trying to get out of the way. But also, it's And you should feel free to promote Neon Feast at Live Golf. I mean, you know, I'm yeah. not a... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, a okay. I'm a whore, too, man. Yeah. You can promote me over there. But well, you got to remember <laughs> that most uh, journalism uh, writers really only have two food groups, free and fried. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, my friend from Live, Arlo White, the former voice of the English Premier League on NBC and uh, was on Ted Lasso because... The Ted Lasso character was invented to promote the EPL on NBC when they got it about 10 years ago. He's in town. I'm taking him to the Sand Dollar at the Plaza on Super Bowl Sunday, maybe to Oscars afterwards. So we'll watch the Super Bowl in public. Uh, I've not never been a big fan of those kind of events, but I'm going to give it a go for the first time in a long time. And one quick oh. uh, thing, a preview for next week as we record this Whataburger. Just opened up its first uh, Las Vegas location in 50 years. It's where Bobby Flay's Burger Place used to be, right there on uh, Las Vegas Boulevard, right in front of the Waldorf Astoria. It's a huge deal in Texas and around the Southwest. I had one more than a decade ago in Phoenix. It is greasy greatness, I got to say. It's it's just one of those fast food burgers that is different from the other fast food burgers and, and worth a shot. There is a beer bar there, too, and I think a pizza place. It's a two-story uh, structure out front there i walked by about a week ago and i lost count of how many taps they had on one wall at least 30 and this nice. whole thing will be open 24 7 so if you don't want to mess with the crowd right now wait till 2 or 3 5 a.m and go get a whataburger for breakfast so where <laughs> you know i i gotta admit like this is part of living in vegas like about every two years a um a fast food burger comes in from some other part of the country yeah. and whoever is an expatriate from that part of the country gets super excited and the rest of all us all yawn and we say, yeah, it's another yeah. fast food burger or or we go and we try it. And because we didn't grow up with it, it doesn't you know, have yeah. that beautiful nostalgia thing. So what's where's Whataburger even from? man? who's going to be excited uh, about Texas? This? It's a Texas thing all along the southwest. The nearest one for here is is the Phoenix area. And uh, yeah. they just they do it on a flat top. It's like they never clean the grease off the flat top. So by the end of the day, they're damn near deep fried. And we're sure yeah. they do and keep up with all I know health they code do. standards. Yes, 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 they do. Clear, but it's, yes. it's, it's a unique. Taste. Just, you know, like I'm going to get you kicked out of events. You're going to get me sued okay. today. I just want to yeah. let's keep ourselves, you know, straight. Okay. I'm sure they clean their grills. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, but it, it, it's that. Uh, the other one that I guess is finally coming to Vegas is Culver's, which is the great Midwest chain. The closest one here is in Bullhead City, Arizona, or uh, St. George, Utah. I didn't grow up with that because I'm not from the Midwest, but I had a bunch of Culver's uh, in the last couple of decades covering political events in, in the Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, and their signature butter burger, where they put the butter on the bun and put that on the flat top with fresh ingredients. And they also very much brag about their massive amount of milkshakes with fresh milk, fresh ice cream and all of that and seasonal fruits. Uh, so that'll be coming in a while. But in the meantime, I'm going to revel in the grease of Whataburger. 
Awesome. Um, yeah, I'll mention burger wise, um, you know, that we, we do have some other news, I guess, which is that a uh, hard hat lounge got their gaming license this week. Ah. And that of course is where stay tuned burger are being served out of. So they're going to be going, I guess, 24 seven. I don't know what the kitchen hours are going to be yet. They haven't announced them yet, but stay tuned. Burger is my favorite hamburger and it's a big sloppy, messy burger. And I love Yay. it. And it's going into, um, hard hat lounge. So keep your eyes oh. on them for them to announce those hours. Okay. How about and you? The, what did you do? This where week? I've been eating, huh? Um, okay, well, look, let's start with the one I punted on last week. And this is Orla by Michael Mina in Mandalay Bay. The night before we recorded last time, I had a massive media meal there. And I hadn't had time to digest it, either physically or mentally, by the time we um, started recording this episode. So I'm going to talk about it today. Um Orla is, first, first and foremost, it's important to note that this is a passion project for Michael Mina. This is his, they're building it as a Mediterranean restaurant on the sign. Um, they're saying it's Greek slash Mediterranean, but Michael has told me many times, and we've heard him on this podcast saying, this is the food that he grew up on. Now he's Egyptian born and he never, I guess, realized that a lot of these Greek dishes, that a lot of the dishes that he ate in Egypt were really Greek dishes from, um, from Alexander the Great conquering and all that stuff and spreading the food. So there was a lot of confusion. I do want to clear up a few things that he answered for us at this dinner. Um, when he had opened Ornos, Michael Mina opened Ornos, which is a Greek seafood restaurant in Miami and then in San Francisco. And that was a partnership with our friends, um, Jerry, uh, the, the guys, the whole team from Meraki. So when we heard he was opening a Greek Mediterranean restaurant in Mandalay Bay, a lot of us thought that the Meraki team would be involved with it. We found out as it was going on that they were not going to be involved with it. And I finally got an explanation from Chef Mina at our dinner the other night. And I guess what he was saying was that he decided to do a cookbook where he went to Egypt. And I, I think he went to Egypt to pers to research the roots of the food that he grew up on. And while he was over there researching it, he started to see a lot more of his own roots in the Greek cuisine and things like that. So that's where he decided that he was going to do this one on his own without those guys as his partners, make it a slightly different concept, not as much seafood driven, um, just a general Greek with Egyptian roots kind of restaurant. So that's important to note going in if you're a nerd like me who's been following the development of this restaurant. So the rest of you just want to hear about the fucking food. So I can get to that too. You've already heard my politics. You've heard my stories. Now let's talk about some food. Um, oh, also I'll tell you the layout of the restaurant hasn't changed much since it was floor by Hubert Keller. Um, but the decor has, of course, it's a, a typical Mediterranean decor that you would expect. A very pretty restaurant. looks nice. Um, the menu is full of some really weird touches. I'm going to go through some of my dishes and try to point out a few of the trends. Like, the amuse-bouche was caviar served on a little zucchini fritter, like a fried kind of very rustic fritter with, of course, the elegant caviar on top. Also, we did tuna, which was served on top of balls of falafel with whipped tahini and the um, salad baladi, which is that sort of um, overall Greek kind of salad, you know, chopped cucumbers and veggies. But again, we're talking about this falafel and then um, the crudo being served on top of that, right? So uh, the mixture of of the um, the hearty and the, the the humble peasant food with these elegant touches. 
Um, he did a chilled lobster salad with blistered peppers, avocado, and mango. He did katifi wrap prawns, which are quite good. Although I did admit last week I like the ones um, over at um, Naxos Taverna just a touch better. We did hummus with foie gras. I mean, the talk again, man, the most humble dish, Whoa. right? This this normal vegan dish right paired up with foie gras <laughs> totally decadent and problematic to a lot of vegans so you know not not afraid to mix and match really really cool and he told us that he learned which i think i may have known was that the egyptians were the first to cultivate foie gras people associate it with france it's part of the french nat- national culture but he learned while he was researching his cookbook that it was actually the egyptians so he, he's paying tribute to that with this hummus dish um, we also had some charcoal grilled octopus with poached egg. We did some flaming Saganaki cheese, um, and that was topped with some mushrooms. Really delicious. Macaroni bechamel, which is like all these these pastas standing straight up and down. Similar, I guess, to a dish that they do over at um, Bardot Brasserie, but in this case with bechamel and then topped with mushrooms and black truffle. It was a really good dish. Um, a whole salt-baked sea bream with some zucchini, some spice-marinated red snapper with fennel, kalamata olives, Yukon potatoes. We did some great spice-roasted duck. We're getting into the heartier meals now. And then this kebab platter. Now, this is a kebab platter for two. It's $168. Whoa. I know a lot of people are going to be, that's the most expensive fucking kebab I've ever heard of in my life. There may be a Guinness record for it, but let's talk about what you get with it. It's filet mignon on the kebab. It's chicken dolmen. So the grape leaf stuffed with chicken, really, really delicious. Some um, tangerine lebne, some smoked eggplant so as dips, basically. We had some um, saffron, basmati rice, some pitas to dip into those dips. So that was a, a really good dish. That was our main, that was one of the main courses. Is it big enough for that. more than two or is it pretty well two is it? Well, I was eating it at a table of like 12 people and oh, we were okay. serving everything. So it gets, it looked like that was going to be your, that could be your full meal for two people. I would yeah. not try to order more. Whether it would be a full meal for three people, might. It, it, it might. It was a lot of fucking food. I'll give you that. All um, right. But yeah, I, I didn't really measure it out. Dessert, um, the kind of a spin on a banana split with um, Kaitifi bananas with some um, oh, really, what was it? Carob ice cream, which you don't oh. see a lot. It was really cool. Um, some rice pudding, some um, yeah, chocolate parfait. So all really, really good. Look, I am an unrepentant fan of the Mina Group. I try to eat in a Mina restaurant whenever I'm in a city that has one. I'm never disappointed. I, you are, you know, I'm just, yeah. I'm a hardcore fan. And this restaurant is one of the most original concepts I can remember since, honestly, maybe the old Sea Blue at MGM Grand, which closed over a decade ago. From Michael, I mean, um, it's very in line with the trend towards light eating. It doesn't skimp on the decadence, though. It skews a bit more Egyptian um, on that Mediterranean line than any place we've had in Vegas since Clio closed. It's very obvious that Chef Mina is passionate about this concept, so I love it. You, you've got me on board for this. Boom. Hmm. Also, I had the chance to check out um, Palette Tea Lounge. That's the hot new San Francisco import that's becoming a lot of people's go-to Spring Mountain Drive place for Chinese food. The kind of Chinese you grew up eating here in the U.S. Oh. You grew up with local Chinese takeout, right? It's in the old Joyful House space, if you remember that. And it reminds me a lot of that restaurant, which used to be my go-to 2 a.m. Chinese food place in Las Vegas. It was the classics. They were done well, definitely Americanized things that you would recognize, uh, you know, as an American diner. This is very similar, but a lot more dim sum. So we did noodles. We did crepes with soft shell crabs. We did dumplings. We did Xiao Long Bao and Shumai, 
all very good. None of them were worldview changing, right? You didn't, they didn't <laughs> yeah. make you go, oh my God, I never had dish like Solid, this. Solid. I liked you them all. A lot. Huh? That's your your so- favorite word there. Solid. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say the quality is a little better than solid. It's a little okay. higher than just like, I mean, a solid would be like a good C plus B minus to me, you know, like, a, but um, I'd say the, the quality here is a little better, but not, not looking at a lot of originality. You're not looking, you know, yeah. to change your your world. Like, oh, I never heard of that dish before. You're going to see familiar dishes. You're going to like it. And you um, need actually, that once palate- in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all want to go for the familiar. I'm the only guy that really wants to go for shit I've never had before <laughs> every night yeah, of the week. True. So. You know, that's just that's an owl thing. So when I say that these things are familiar, that's not bad. Most people dig it. I was there with Rob Cashel Reese and his wife, Mary. We had a great meal. I loved hanging out with them. He's actually writing it up for Neon Feast because it got a lot of votes in our Chinese um, category in the most recent survey. So, um, yeah, check out Pallet Tea Lounge. And it also really good whiskey selection for um, I, I didn't have any whiskey. Rob ordered a couple rare or a couple of good bottles that he noticed on the way in. And then we, I mean, he didn't order the bottles. He ordered a shot. sip from the bottles. Yes. But when we were on our way out, we went over and check it out and they had like a, it looked like a flight of four roses, four different four roses, whiskeys there available. So um, it's not a huge whiskey bar. Clearly it's a Chinese restaurant, but you, you may be interested in the whiskey selection. If you go. Some of the hardest core bars I've ever been in have been in the back of Chinese restaurants. Yeah, with with regulars, a brother-in-law who had to finally say, no, I'm done with alcohol <laughs> because of all yeah. the time he spent at the Golden Pagoda in Beaverton, Oregon. <laughs> oh, the Beaverton Golden Pagoda. Oh, yeah. Place, places like that. They're all over, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your jersey um, was peppered with those kind of places. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, okay, where else have I been? Azura Cucina on Water Street celebrated one year in business, and it's been a very solid year at that. The place is never fucking has an available table. It's unreal. And they, because of that fact, they unveiled plans at their party for a wine bar right next door with food by Chef Alessandro Madera. So um, that's very cool. That's coming soon next door within the next couple months. Um, while I was there, I just spoke to Chef about this anniversary. If you weird yeah but i'm happy that i'm still here and uh, hopefully that we next year is gonna do a second and third and maybe 10 maybe 20 years who knows <laughs> well you know chef i feel like this place has probably been sold out every day of that first year i mean you are filled up just about every night right yes yes that's good and bad <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. There are a lot of people coming in and they actually try harder. And, but yeah, that's, that's been tough on those periods to find a new, new workers and nobody wants to work. So that's kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, uh, well, I hear now, though, that you're going to kind of alleviate the crowd by bringing in a new wine bar. Could you tell me something about that? Yes. So the wine bar, uh, we have been having like a little trouble having like some parmesan here and there. Well, as normal, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to actually give them like a, a nice menu. And I will be there like uh, first like month or so and uh, passing by. And I want to make sure that everything's perfect like us. <laughs> so they use the same name, so I want to make sure that it's good. Where's it going to be located? 
is right next door okay. on that 314 Water Street. Okay. So that's going to be great spots in there. And I saw the new trust just coming in, and I said, oh, my gosh, that's going to be great. <laughs> Excellent. So after a year, what's the signature dish that people have to try, the one that they just keep coming back for more, the one dish on the menu that defines this restaurant in its first year? Well, since they won the, the pot trap, they, they always come back for the same thing. <laughs> so a uh, pot trap, and I actually have on the menu a uh, result of the day I keep changing but but if if I don't put a shrimp will not sell it they only want a shrimp result I don't know why (laughs) that's what it is well well, congratulations chef I can't wait to be at your 20th oh yeah and are we gonna get that I also dropped by Haleo to have a Monday night version of the brunch they are planning for this Sunday for the, the day of that big old super duper game. Uh, they're doing a brunch for people who want a pregame and they're also doing a takeout brunch for people that want to bring like a sandwich and stuff home. Um, but this is the first time they've made a lot of these brunch dishes since they stopped serving lunch. So for me, it was a great chance to get back in. So they said, you want to come in on game day? No, I'm not going anywhere on game day. You want to come in on Monday and try them at dinner time? Are you going to make it especially for me? Absolutely, I will go. So um, that's the reason I went. I, it was a lot of cool dishes. And if you are looking for something to do Sunday and you're a Jose Andres fan, this is a chance to get some of these dishes, which you won't be seeing at Haleo for a long time. And here is Chef Stephanie Sanfried explaining what I ate and what will be on the menu this Sunday. We have the carne asada with the huevo frito and patatas, mojo verde. We also have the torrejas, which is a Spanish-French toast, caramelized apples, catalana cream, kind of like a traditional French toast, but very Spanish. And then we have our brioche idiasavo, which is idiasavo cheese sauce, so good. Um, brioche toast and a huevo 63, it's like a perfectly poached um, egg. And then the huevos estrellados, which is fried potatoes, jamón iberico, and a fried egg. Sunday, this past Sunday, was the Japanese holiday, or maybe not a holiday. I'm not 100% sure the exact word, but it was the day was known as Setsubun, which I understand as the final day of winter or the day before the first day of spring. I think those would be the same thing, but I don't want to step on anybody's holiday there. There's a tradition of eating a huge ehomaki, which is a fortune roll on that day. And our friends at Kaiseki Yuzu, which is this super, you know, over the top tasting menu restaurant that just added a a very intimate sushi bar. But they're always a very elevated restaurant. They broke from their normal high end dining experience to do takeout ehomaki for that day. So I got two to take home and eat it in the traditional manner. And since I don't want to like honky splain um, (laughs) someone else's culture, I'm going to read the instructions that came with it word for word. When eating edom, excuse me, when eating ehomaki, the custom is to face the direction that will bring good fortune and eat one whole ehomaki silently while making a wish. It's important not to cut the ehomaki as eating it whole is believed to bring good luck for the rest of the year. And the direction, by the way, for 2024, which uh, you had to face was east with one quarter turned to the north. So, um, yeah, man, I did that. Yeah, well, it's apparently where the specific deity would be facing this year. Uh-huh. Is, you know, again, 
I don't want to bastardize anybody else's culture by mis-explaining it, but do some research. It's a fun holiday, and seriously, bravo to Kaiseki Yuzu, which is normally a place that you just go for special occasions or when you really yeah. want to roll out some dough. And for them to put this little takeout together, man, I, I, I really have, have a lot of respect for them for doing that, so it's very cool. What else? A great weekend brunch at Ada's with my friends, Jackie and um, and Jim Snyder from local news. We were dined over there. Um, great meal. Um, I pulled out all the hits for them, you know, made the oh, yeah. shrimp and, you know, the burger and all the great stuff. And look, Ada's, I mean, yeah, Ada's is one of my favorite restaurants in town. Definitely top five for me, places yep. I love to dine. So you know about it. I won't go too much further this week. I also paid a visit to the new Atomic Golf location just north of the Strat. I got a very cool tour from Robert Lamelli. The kitchen is amazing, all electric, very high tech. Um, I, I won't go into those details with you here because unless you're a chef, you're not going to appreciate it. But he did tell me a bit about what to expect from the food when Atomic Golf opens its doors just north of the Strat in that Gateway District into the Arts District, and they're expecting that in February or March. This will be opening. Here's what the food's going to be like. From the food aspect, I mean, I would really just say come with an open mind it's not going to be what a lot of people were expecting you know just to give you a quick little glance into what my mentality was is to really focus on the on the on the good ingredients the quality ingredients we don't have to do much to just highlight them we just let them shine for what they are stick to the basics of good food and instead of having a menu that has 12 burgers in it and the only difference is that one of them has onion rings in it and the other one has fucking whatever the hell on it we wanted to have one burger that's just amazing so that's the whole premise behind it. Everything from our wings and everything like that, everything has been sourced through specific purveyors and we're working directly with them just to make sure that we get the right product for us, the right kind of specs, everything, everything. So for example, and I'll show them to you when you come back, our wings were developed for us. We're not serving just you know the commodity stuff, which again nothing against and, it. And I should say, you guys have good wings, right? I mean, Golden Entertainment's beloved for their wings, right? The you know, so you make good wings at PTs, you make good wings over at the Strat, you make good wings other places, but you've done a, a separate wing that you're doing here. Yes, we wanted something that would stand out, something to be unique for us, something that would look at it and say, "Oh shit, they don't have ten sauces; they have one, maybe two, but the wing is so cool, it's so good." And it's 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 different. It's a different product. They look at it, they taste it, and they're like, "Oh shit, this is this is great," you know. And that was the whole premise behind it. Is and even how we treat the product. You get we get wings in here. Cool, fine. We're not gonna just throw them out or or, or, or throw them in the fryer and, and and let them get crispy. We take them, we brine them for six hours. We make sure we, we roast them first in our iCombi. We have a set, we have the the sign setting for it. And of course, the brine was even thought about to where once we roast it. The skin caramelizes on it so well that by the time we fry it, they come out beautiful, man. Beautiful. So I'm telling you, every single detail was really, really thought out. Coming up in the news, a Henderson restaurant closes. A football legend moves forward with restaurant plans for the Strip. But first, Al has a trio of interviews for you, including a dive into baking with cannabis tincture. This is Food and Loathing. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? 
Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. A few weeks ago, I told you about trying some new brunch items at Alexa's on the Strip, which offers brunch seven days a week with lots of party vibe and a view of Las Vegas Boulevard. Well, I spoke to Joe Comiskey about what they're doing at brunch, and here is that interview. Um, We are getting ready to implement five new dishes. Um, It is our signature pancakes with our house-made pancake batter, uh, hot blueberry compote, and chantilly cream. We are changing our French toast to add a wild berry sauce on it. Um, we've added a steak and eggs with a prime flat iron steak, um, three eggs, and our Alexa breakfast potatoes, and our um, English muffin that comes with every breakfast. We are also adding a omelet with crab, asparagus, Havarti cheese, and hollandaise. We also have about 10 more brunch items that are going to be introduced in, over the next few months. Um, everything from a smoked salmon croissant to um, eggs benedict. Um, we've come up with a carrot cake pancake that we're working out the details on. So we're implementing another 10 items over the course of the summer, if not sooner. Um, we just want to introduce things a little bit at a time to keep our guests excited and keep our, our team excited. And as we introduce those new items, we're also looking at items we currently have and upgrading those and revamping those and kind of refreshing them because, you know, um, some things have been our menu for a long time and people love them, but we do want to make sure they're still great. Um, So, you know, we're looking at everything we do and make sure it's the best it could possibly be. So could you talk a bit about what the brunch scene is like here? Because, you know, a lot of people do a one day a week brunch. Maybe they do some specialty cocktails. Maybe they do some weird bottle service, right, party brunch, et cetera. And I've seen a lot of elements of that here on a weekday where, where I'm dining. So tell me, what, how, what days a week do you offer the brunch experience? What is that brunch experience like? We offer brunch seven days a week. Um, we have everything from our bottomless mimosas, which go for two hours, to we have our punch bowls, we have our disco ball cocktails. Um, our bar team has put together a great um, amount of drinks and fun active, active drinks that you can really dive into at brunch and have a good time. Um, Food-wise, you know, we already talked about some of the food. We try to make our, our, our food as fun as our drinks so people come and have a good time. The scene here during the week is brunch and people are hanging out and having a good time. When you get here on a weekend, we get live music going, we get a jazz band playing. We have a lot of bachelorette parties come in, and they have a good time with the mimosas and uh, the big punch bowls and and the shareable drinks. So the scene here for brunch is really about coming, enjoying the food, enjoying the drink, and having a good time. You know, we've got a great great view of the Las Vegas Strip, and you can people watch and, you know, hang out and just enjoy yourself. I also dropped by St. Honory Donuts Blue Diamond location for a media preview of some of the new pizza they're offering at night under the name Pizza Anonymous. I got a tour of the kitchen by partner Stephen Jerome, who is also one of the people behind Lola's and Three Little Chicks. And yes, I know a lot is made about the fact that those are woman-run brands, and I'm not trying to delegitimize that, but the fact that I spoke to Stephen. It's very true that it is a, a woman-run, um, th- those are all female-run and female in the front um uh, businesses, but those women both have husbands who are very, very involved in the business. And Jerome is married to Lynn Jerome, and he is the one who happened to give me this tour. So I hope that clears things up a bit. And here's him talking about why they added pizza to their donut routine, which you may recall started back in COVID at their other location. You know, it was always a part of the initial program, and we always wanted to have an element of pizza. Um, 
we started the donut concept first. We got that off the ground. It was, again, all things dough. So beignets was something that we wanted uh, with that New Orleans French Quarter influence and vibe. Uh, we had the bombolones initially from Italy. Uh, and then pizza was always a plan or a thought. But it wasn't really until COVID until it came to fruition where, uh, you know, we had a full staff um, that we really didn't have shifts for. We had mixers, we had flour, we had all the ingredients to make pizza. Uh, and it actually happened for family meal. Uh, Alex and I were in the kitchen one day and the guys, the guys wanted to eat something. So I said, you know, we'll ma- I made the dough from scratch, uh, made a sauce from scratch, San Marzano tomato, and we put them out for the staff. And they said it was the best pizza they ever ate. And that's kind of how the, the idea came to be. And then when COVID hit, you know, there was a demand. You know, people were wanting takeout. They wanted dinner. They wanted things like that, heart, more heartier things. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. So um, that's how, that's when it kind of it first started, the first iteration of it. We launched it at Flamingo because that was our only location at the time. And then when we opened here, um, you know, with the full dining room, we really thought that you know, it could really catch on. So we'd have like almost a split concept where you'd have donuts by day, pizza by night. We also have the to-go and drive-through window here at this Blue Diamond location. So, you know, maybe it's pizza's pickup or by the slice, you know, for the drive-through. So there's a lot of synergies, obviously, with the dough. Right. Well, you are known for doing uh, donuts that are just a cut above what people are used to seeing. You know, all of your donuts have wow factors. So how do you translate that over into pizza? Same approach. Um, you know, for us, it's always an, uh, an emphasis on quality. Uh, obviously, visually, they have to look nice and they're visually appealing. But the pizzas, uh, much like the donuts, are done with that same kind of care and love. All the dough is made from scratch. I make the sauce every day from scratch. Uh, we try and source the best that we can find in terms of ingredients, you know, prosciutto from it, from Italy or whatever it is. We're trying we're trying to do, um, you know, real food the right way. Uh, my mom came from southern Italy, so these pizzas are basically an extension of me when we were at home. We didn't have brick ovens or coal ovens, so we may do with cookie sheets and pizza, sh- pizza sheets just like we have here. Yeah. And I wasn't going to bring in a whole new oven. The whole point was to be nimble and you know utilize things that we had at our disposal so you know is it how i would make pizza if i had a pizza restaurant maybe not or probably not but it's kind of a unique thing and it's i think near and dear to to me and like my upbringing and i think it all works so what are some of your signature pizzas that you're rolling out and what is the overall style of pizza that you do here good that's a great question um i think the uh, overall style i would classify it as is kind of like grandma or like Roman style. It's not like a deep dish Chicago, Detroit, and it's not a thin crust New York. So it's somewhere in the middle. It's all done um, in normal like kitchen ovens, uh, convection ovens uh, at high heat, but on cookie and sheet trays. Um, in terms of, uh, so I, don't, I guess grandma style, because that's okay. what I would call it. Um, so what about, what about some signature pizzas yeah. that you do? So the, the, old, like the old standards are still here, the ones um, that have been on the menu from the beginning. The cup and char pepperoni, um, the margarita pizza, and the buffalo chicken are probably three of the most popular. Garlic veggie, if you want a white pizza, is a real, real crowd pleaser. People love that pizza. New to the menu and kind of that are going to be kind of featured as uh, 2.0 of this rolls out, um, the, um, the prosciutto and fig with um with uh, feta cheese and arugula a little bit of honey so is a real favorite uh of mine i think that's a great pizza and the pickle pizza is kind of a new one that was uh it kind of came um to fruition 
when we were doing a TikTok video with Alex. I think she does these things to annoy me. Uh, so she started a pickle pizza, um, and it actually turned out great. I, I We were, at the same time, working on fried pickles at Three Little Chicks. Yeah. So we had all this cool product that we kept messing around with, and we tried a pickle pizza here. Alex did it. I tried it. Loved it. We made some tweaks to it, but it's it's great. So that's a, that's going to be, a, I think, a real, uh, a real standout on the new menu. So you guys are building a hell of an empire. You've got three little chicks that just rolled out. You've got St. Honoris in multiple locations. You have Lola's in multiple lo- locations on and off the strip. What's the long-term plan, man? Um, long-term, I think, is what, what you're seeing. Uh, it's obviously growth. We've, we've always had our sights set on long-term growth. But whether that's re- uh, in Nevada, regionally, or nationally, I think that remains to be seen. I mean, think we, we definitely love Vegas. This is our home. And we want to continue to bring really cool, fun concepts to Vegas. There's a couple that we that we still have on the back burner, but we really want to focus now on these three um, because you know I think that there are there is some some opportunity for growth. Um, I think Cafe Lola will be f- like the first one that we can start to roll out only because it's been here the longest. We've had time to really perfect it. We've done f- five locations now, so the systems are in place. Um, this one for me is the one that I really, this is our baby, right? Alex and I started it um, without having a lot of like real insight or knowledge in baking or donuts. Uh, we learned a lot. Um, her husband, Michael, and my wife, Lynn, are working continually behind the scenes, trying to figure out um, new locations and, and help on the, like, the, the growth side of things while we're like entrenched in the operation and working through that. Um, so I think, um, yeah, growth is, okay. is number one. And finally, for the center of this week's episode, Freed's Bakery has joined forces with the Source Dispensaries to encourage people to experiment with cannabis in the kitchen. So if you visit a local Source location, you can pick up recipe cards with recipes for THC-infused versions of Freed's Mexican Wedding Cookies and Freed's Cranberry Cheese Loaf. No, they're not selling the infused products but I still thought it was pretty cool. I and mean, you guys all know that I, I used to try to review cannabis-infused products on this show every week, and they were really so fucking boring that I, I dropped it, right? <laughs> so the fact that they're doing this, encouraging people to cook with it, got me curious. I mean, to have a, a company like Freed's, you know, just wanting to be involved in this sphere in any way seemed really cool to me. So I dropped by to say, and, you know, I tell you, the reason I love covering this stuff, by the way, is the whole time I wrote it, certain other publications, they would not let me cover cannabis edibles as part of food coverage. And I think it should be. I think food journalists have a responsibility to cover that. So um, I dropped in to speak with Matthew Jans, Director of Marketing for The Source, and Max Jacobson Freed, Managing Partner for Freed's Bakery and Dessert Shops. I love this idea, man. Great chefs collaborating with people that want to get you high. What more? To me, this is this is in the tradition of um, of great winemakers, right? Dealing with great chefs. So, what are you guys doing? I'm so excited to share. Yeah, so we are a very local focused dispensary. Um, we're completely about the community, and we wanted to partner with people that mean a lot to our community. Freed's has been a staple for such a long time. Uh, some of the best baked goods. I moved in Vegas in 2005. This is the very first baked shop that I got confections from. Uh, so kind of a special place in the heart of myself and the community. And we want to integrate cannabis into people's lifestyles and show them how you can use cannabis in more ways than you might think. 
and we wanted to have this fun partnership and Freed was thankfully very open and receptive. Um, and we created some really fun holiday infused recipes with some of their most famous uh, um, uh, confections being the cranberry cheesecake loaf and the Mexican wedding cookies. So we put this together. Uh, they're very open to working with us. We have a great content piece with them for both recipes, showing our customers how to make this very easily with tincture. Um, and because tincture is primarily just THC um, and MCT oil, it really does strip out a lot of that herbal flavor, making it a very enjoyable experience. We have the amazing baked goods from Freed's on top of that, and you get something that's extremely enjoyable um, and also very low in dose <laughs> appropriately, so you can take it easy. Um, but it turned out great. You know, we really do appreciate their partnerships, their willingness to be open to cannabis as an option to help improve people's quality of life. Um, and we saw it as a great way to integrate into the community and show people the versatility in cannabis and that you know, if you want to explore, be more adventurous and do more with cannabis, you can. And here's this amazing community partner that's helping showcase just how to do that. Okay, so I want to clarify for everybody out there, you're not going to be able to go into the source and buy <laughs> no. a Freed's cupcake or something, and you're not going to be going, certainly not going to be able to go into Freed's and buy a laced cupcake. So at no place are you going to get something that actually has the Freed's name on it and you, that you Freed's folks have baked that is going to get you high, right? That's, yeah. This is this is instructions that you're providing. Correct. Yeah. No, this was, uh, Matt had reached out um, and just said, hey, we're, we're thinking doing this project and we love saying yes and we love doing uh crazy oddball things not saying that it's crazy oddball <laughs> but i think it is for us we've been in town uh you know over 60 years and so i guess people don't really expect uh something like this and it's kind of fun to subvert expectations a little bit and do something a little bit out there um and so yeah we just we love saying yes we love doing fun things well, look, I say all the time that the edibles market sucks in Las Vegas. And, you know, I, I dedicated a, over close to a year of my podcast to trying to review new and exciting edibles. And I was just going to the same things over and over again. I found it really boring. And so the fact that you are trying to bring some creativity to that market and also encourage the home cook, the home baker to play around with cannabis, that I find really cool as well. Um, so I guess the first question I have to ask is, what was the experimentation like for this did you um did you play around doing it maybe cooking with flour before you went to tincture right away or um you know how many times did you have to try to just make sure you got it right Man, i wish i had the time to spend at home just like baking <laughs> uh no i think in this case it was it was actually really straightforward it was a really really easy product to use um it was a one-to-one -one swap for you know oils that we felt needed to go in and it's such a small amount of it that honestly like they're really it's a very forgiving product um, so if you have a recipe, it's really, really easy to infuse um, with the oil. It's not like you're having to worry about like, oh, what's this going to do to the, the water content? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, is this going to increase my bake time? It was really just like a, we took a recipe, we added this, and that was it. It was really, really simple. I hate to kind of like make it seem like it was more complex than it was. Oh, uh, it was really easy. Okay. Uh, it and require a lot of experimentation. And then you basically just um, trusted your friends over here at the source to recommend the dosing? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I had to, I had to trust Matt on that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, – well, at that point, it's really just math, right? Like you figure out you know, how many milligrams uh, are going to be delivered by this and how many servings are you going to get out of the product. And that's like – that's really it. 
So is it a straight up, you can look at any of your favorite holiday recipes and replace something that's in there with a certain amount of this specific tincture? And can you talk about that, about yeah, what, yeah. The, what, the, um, what the science is and what the art is of that substitution? Yeah, well, in all, uh, so in this case, we chose two products that we felt were very forgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are two products that um, you can kind of mess up a little bit mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about the science. Um, so for something like a Mexican wedding cookie, it's a drop cookie. It's easy. You're just blending a bunch of ingredients together and then baking it. Um, if it's a little bit too wet or it's a little bit too dry, it's really not going to affect the outcome. Um, so we chose these specifically because they were easy to work with. Um, and now that I've, I've said all that, I forgot what the question was. Well, the question was, let's say somebody is at home with their own recipe, yes, and how would you advise them on substituting? Um, so if you're using something that's – I would be cautious with – Maybe like a you know a chiffon cake or something that's going to be um, more um, where accuracy counts for more. Um, but even then, you're adding so little to the final product that um, it, it felt like it's it's something that you can just basically take, like you said, like any recipe, and just kind of add a little bit of the tincture to it and get the dosage you need or want. Okay. So, um, so not a lot. So it's not like you have to sub it out, use less butter, use less something else. Like, yeah. These were droppers full, you know? So when you're using uh, a quarter cup of oil or half a cup of oil, uh, of oil or using butter or using these other items, like it's just such a, uh, an insignificant portion. Um, if you were infusing like baking soda or baking powder, then you'd probably have a lot more problems. Right. Um, but for something that's just like adding a little bit of liquid content, um, and fats, it just didn't seem like, like it would affect the final. Right. And, and you're happy with the way they taste I with that? It turned out awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you're always going to be happy afterwards, I guess. So that's the key. Um, so could you explain, you know, I, I'm guessing working with the source, you, you are, you know, the science of this stuff inside and out. Could you talk about the, the, the basics that a home cook should understand if they want to cook with any type of cannabis product? And is tincture always the way to go? Are there times that you actually want to cook with a different type of product, either use the entire flour or you know what, whatever else people may choose to do? Yeah, so um, the tincture is always going to be the easiest route. So there's a really great couple of brands, one of them being Select. They have an 800 milligram tincture that's 30 mLs, and each dropper is one mL. So each dropper accounts roughly for 26.6 milligrams of THC. So four will get you to roughly 100, um, and you can basically do the math on quantity. So if you want to stick at 100 and you want to have you know each piece be 10 milligrams, you'll cut your recipe by 10 as far as when it's done. If you put together a banana bread, right? 10 slices as long as you homogenize it, and that's one of the big keys here. <laughs> homogenization, homogenization, homogenization. Which basically means stirring the shit out of it, yeah. right? Super stirring. <laughs> Make sure that it's very, very thoroughly mixed in. Um, but tincture is always going to be a great option because they come unflavored. So there's not going to be any kind of weird, funky herbal taste. Uh, with all of the other uh, lipids, the plant material, and everything uh, basically extracted out except for the THC, you end up with a very, very uh, um, easy to work with, non-flavored option. So you can, if you'd like, get a little bit more advanced when it comes to cooking with cannabis. Um, you can take flour and then you can decarb it, which is a fancy way of putting it in the oven at a low temperature and basically converting the THCA, which is the acidic form of THC, uh, into THC. So when you digest it, it actually converts into, this gets really advanced, I'm going to sound like a nerd, into 11-hydroxy THC in your liver as a, as a process. 
processes. And that's one of the reasons that edibles is actually a very potent option is because 11-hydroxy-THC, when it's converted, can be up to something like five times more potent than typical THC. So basically, when you eat THC and then it metabolizes in your liver, it turns into a different type of THC that, yeah, a lot of us can attest, <laughs> knocks you out on a different level than when you're smoking THC. Now, are you saying that in working with the um, tinctures that doesn't happen? No, it does happen okay. for sure. So it's just still the same thing that happens as far as the, the metabolism uh, of THC and 11-hydroxy-THC. It's just easier to work with from a dosing standpoint and also just with tinctures, it's as simple as if you want to have a healthy lifestyle, right? Like let's say um, you're gluten-free, let's say uh, you're living a vegan lifestyle, you can make a fruit smoothie, drop one tincture in there, and then you can guarantee that you have 26 milligrams worth of edible. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have roughly, you know, 12 point something, because I'm so bad at math, I'm the marketing guy, I don't know anything <laughs> about, about numbers, but if you want to have roughly 12, you do half a dropper, right? Like the dosing and titration is very simple to work with the tincture versus flour. You're, you're having to take a pretty advanced equation where you're going, okay, the base level of this flour per gram is 26% THC. So out of that gram, this is how many milligrams I'm going to get. And if I decarb it and then it's going to convert, it's, I am not totally privy or understanding of the, the full equation, but it can get a lot more difficult to get accurate with the dosing. The other thing that people can do that is almost, um, easier in some senses than the tincture is you can take edibles and make fun different recipes with edibles that are already created. So for example, uh, there's a company that has vert cookie squares. People have taken those and instead of just eating them, they'll put butter in a pan, they'll fry both sides, and then they'll have it as like almost like what you do with a muffin, right? You put the butter on the muffin, you, you fry it, it creates that good texture, makes it a little bit more buttery and savory. Is that how you eat muffins? Yeah, yeah that is how I eat muffins. Wow. I'm some kind of freak. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a stoner ingenuity in me. Um, or some people have taken it, and this is like a, an even easier option. They, they microwave it for like 5 to 15 seconds, and then they add ice cream on top of it. It's like a, a almost like an a la mode option, right? Some people are making milkshakes with it. So you could get a edible chocolate. It's a 100 milligram dose, comes in 10 pieces. Each piece is 10 milligrams. And you can take that, melt the butter down, and add it into a cookie recipe. So as creative as you can get is, is the, the limits when it comes to cooking at home with cannabis. And it does really help to speak to people with specific lifestyle choices, vegan, uh, gluten-free, um, or just full-on gluttony. If you want to have butter on top of oil, on top of uh, tincture, I mean, you can, you can take this in any direction, which allows it to be much more functional. Whereas when you're buying an edible from a shop, you may end up being limited because a lot of people do use non-vegan ingredients. Um, a lot of people may use excessive sugar to cover up some of the taste if they're using flour for infusion. Um, so it, it kind of opens up your world to being a little bit more limitless. Um, and this is just one really great example, especially during the holidays. What more fun to show up to a Christmas party or, or your holiday party with a, a cream cheese uh, loaf uh, um, and having it be infused and enjoyable for everybody at, at the, the experience. So I think it, it's a lot more versatile. And because tinctures are so easy to dose, really great option. Same thing with kind of taking existing edibles and turning them into something a little bit more fun or, or enjoyable and from what you're trying to accomplish. Now, I'm kind of getting worried here, and I'm not high, but... The holidays are over, right? Yes. <laughs> like, we're just talking about the holidays, and I'm like, wait, what holidays coming up, man? So, okay. I just want to make sure that I wasn't getting that wrong. Um, but to get back to a serious question, I don't know if either of you are even able to answer this, but hopefully somebody is. 
There's so much in um, in pop culture these days. I think even the the average consumer is really in Las Vegas, at least in Nevada. Since our legalization, we have such great dispensaries with such knowledgeable people that a lot of us have started to pay attention to terpenes, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is going to get me. This is going to make me giggly. This is going to make me sleepy. This is going to make me, you know, productive, etc. But when you're dealing with cooking is does that go out the window because you've stripped all of those out by the time you get down to terpenes does i mean by the time you get down to the tincture could either of you able to answer that so (laughs) there's there the the both the strain dominance um and terpene question is a point of contention when it comes to edibles so because of the boiling points of terpenes often they're cooked out during the process of baking or cooking um, but there's a point of contention on whether or not that can still have an effect, right? There's the entourage effect, which is essentially saying that it's that it's like the sum uh, of the parts is uh, more than the whole, whatever that, yeah. that <laughs> saying is that I'm botching right now. But the essentially, more it's than the sum of the parts. There yeah. we go. Exactly. So the cannabinoids, the terpenes, the flavonoids, um, and, and all of these different materials that are coming from the plant are what's creating the overall effect. And we find that to be true. That. Terpenes can have significant influence on how you are affected when you're smoking or ingesting cannabis. But when it comes to the edible side, the point of contention is whether or not they get fully baked out. And the same thing goes for the sativa, indica, and hybrid thing, is they're saying that when you get to the point where you're adding in just THC because you've extracted it and you want to get it to that flavorless level, that there is no longer a strain dominance. So you can, there's tons of contention on whether or not it is or isn't the case. I will say that there have been anecdotally a lot of good feedback from customers that when they do take a sativa-specific edible, meaning that it was like, let's say, a Jack Herrera-infused edible. So they took Jack Herrera flour, they extracted the uh, cannabis oil from that flour, and then infused the edibles with that cannabis oil, that they do have more of a sativa effect. So it's a little bit more uplifting, a little bit more energetic, a little bit more focused. Um, but it's also there's the other side of people that say there's no difference in the delineation for strain dominance. So it's honestly it's kind of it seems to be up to the user experience and a good reason to experiment, right? A great reason to experiment and try as many products as you can from the source uh, located across the Las Vegas Valley. There um, you go. I love the plug, man. Yes, got to get the plug in. Uh, okay, so I guess the the follow the only question I have left for you, Max, is would Freed's ever consider? Getting into a branded product that that was sold your baked goods with with THC in them. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think whatever stigma existed maybe before this, because um, I mean we have to we have to be considerate of the brand, and I think um, be considerate about the fact that um, I don't know. It's still like a, it's still a funny world out there, and I think that uh, as um, as the attitudes change and as there's more opportunities for us to get involved with something like this, I think that it sounds really fun. It's, uh, I mean, we have black forest cake. It uses cherry brandy. We have rum cake. We have, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I don't really. Yeah, and that's, that's how I feel. Like that's, that's my biggest problem is we have not yet gotten to treating, um, cannabis the way that we treat spirits, right? Which as a, as a compliment to food, right? We don't, you know, people don't review spirits for how high they get you, right? They review them for how good they taste, right? And I feel like cannabis products should be like that as well. Correct. I think that um, there's a cool opportunity to get involved with something like this. I think that it's a, like a brave new world out there with, uh, with cannabis infused products and 
I don't see any reason why we couldn't be a part of it. Okay, great. Well, when you're ready, let me know. I'll be here to promote it. Thank you guys both for your time. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Again, we appreciate Freed for their great partnership. Appreciate you for bringing us on to talk about this fun project. Um, and we're always focused on education in the community. Any questions, ask our bud tenders. They'll nerd out on everything cannabis knowledge to you and then get you to the right place. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. Gambit in Henderson has been sold. I first learned of this in an online post by Humo Barbecue, one of the food concepts operating out of the space, and they were upset that the new owner, whom they refer to as a professional boxer, was demanding they vacate despite despite alleged promises that they would be able to continue. I don't know anything at all about that, um, just what I read online, but I made a call to the now former owner of Gambit, um, and he did, in fact, confirm that he has sold it. He did not offer any information on the new buyer, citing an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. So more on that if I learn it. Until then, I wish Cody, the ex-owner, and um, Humo Barbecue the best moving forward. You folks are always welcome on this show to promote new stuff. And of course, I still love Cody's burger spot, Barcode Burgers. So um, you can still support him over there. Looks like uh, Cowboys great Emmett Smith's restaurant is on again after multiple, multiple delays. Eater reports the restaurant will open February 26th. We do not have confirmation of the exact date, though. We've been speaking to Smith's reps. They're all excited about having the launch finally show up. And, uh, man, that's been that's been like a year since we first heard about that. So, uh, man. Yeah, long time, man. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't get to ask him about it last I saw him, so I'm glad to know that's happening. And if you're looking for something to do next weekend after the Super Bowl, think about the Skyline Sips. This is at Circa's Rooftop Legacy Club. It's uh, Saturday the 15th, 2 to 5. Al spoke to Circa's Director of Food and Beverage, Sam Pulliam, about it. Well, on February 17th from 2 to 5 p.m., we're having Skyline Skyline Sips at Legacy Club. Um, It's $125 a person, and everyone receives a commemorative commemorative wine glass where you get to try different wines from a variety of vendors. We'll have a charcuterie board, live music, and it's just a great way to kickstart your Saturday. So about how many wines do you have there and, you know, what, what's any names you can mention of, of vineyards that will be represented? Yeah, so we'll have uh, approximately six different suppliers there showcasing about four different wines each, uh, notably St. Michelle Wine Estates, Orange Swift Winery, Copper Cane um, will be there. So um, some really cool and unique things to try. Hey, and another bit of news, um, Sam and I guess it's okay to tell this because it seems to be public knowledge. Sam's going to be leaving Circa later this year to open his own dive bar, his words, in the Hunt Ridge neighborhood. <laughs> it is called, and by the way, I love those words, dive bar. I don't even drink and I love sitting in dive bars. Um, I, the place is called Jive Turkey. I saw a photo of the storefront. It looks like a great addition to the neighborhood. I cannot wait to learn more about that. I go um, through oh. and I, I just want to interrupt one second. I go through yeah, and, please do. And, uh, and try to correct your spelling when i can find those but i did not correct the one coming up because i just want to see how you work it oh okay we'll see what i do man um see how bad i misspelled this in my notes um this is one of the few super bowl events i'm happy to mention this week specifically guy fieri's flavor town tailgate which is a ticketed but free event behind the link with music by flavor flav Diplo and Justin Lynch and food by a lot of very cool off strip restaurants. Uh, I love that guy is doing this community outreach. It's exactly what we need from big events that come to town. He's invited the teams from Forte Tapas, Naked City Pizza, 
Letty's de Letitia and the Tisha's, um, Fat Choi, No Butcher, other great local restaurants that I love. Um, and I spoke to Letitia Mitchell of the Tisha's and of Letty's. And, um, oh, I didn't get to speak to her partner, Sue, today, but I did speak to Letitia about being asked by Guy to do this event. Tell me how you're going to be spending Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, my goodness. At one of the biggest tailgate parties ever for the first time in Vegas, which is Triple D, Guy Fieri's tailgate party at the Lynx. Wow. So, I mean, that's really cool. You know, I'm not reporting on every single big event that's happening because there's so many of them. But I love this idea that Guy Fieri, one of the biggest names in all of food, comes to Las Vegas to do a tailgate party. And he's reached out to you and several other local restaurants. Uh, could you tell me how that happened? Well, exactly. Because we're a triple D now in the family, we were featured. He reached out to the ones in Vegas. And I believe there's a few others as well. Yeah. So what's that mean for you to be able to, play, to, to cook in front of that audience? Oh, I'm just elated. Sue and I are just so excited. Can you imagine? They're expecting now 15,000 people. So yes, it's stressful, <laughs> but I'm sure I don't have to feed the 15,000, you know, with other vendors, but it's going to be fantastic. We have a great team. It's going to be exciting. There's entertainment. There's just quite a bit. Not only do I have to, you know, feed them on our menu, but uh, Mr. Fieri asked for 750 sample sizes for his VIP um, goers or what have you. So right next to us. So that's going to be even more so of a challenge. So, Wow. That's awesome. Um, but I guess, you know, how do you feel about the fact the Super Bowl comes to Las Vegas and, you know, it's a lot of hype, a lot of national attention. And a lot of times people overlook the local restaurants, right? People don't really go out and explore the valley. So how do you feel about the fact that he's really taken time to reach out to the locals and try to bring you guys in? I mean, you are part of the family, of course, for him, but to bring you into the actual celebration of Super Bowl. You know, you have a, a tremendous point there because you're absolutely right. It's always, you know, the big strip restaurants and hotels and they seem to get all of the hype, when you know, like F1. And when you have someone reaching out to a local mom and pop shop, you know, that's huge. That's huge. And we're very honored. We're, we're just so excited about it because it's not only us. It's, you know, I don't know how many others that are being requested. And it, and it wasn't just the strip. It was local community restaurants that that means a lot to us, you know. And what's that going to do for us? What, can you imagine the marketing? Can you imagine the visual? Can you imagine the opportunity to hand out and have people taste my food and want to come back, you know, for the next day? So, yes, this is a huge thing for Vegas and more so for us as a, you know, small little mom and pop or 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 two <laughs> women <laughs> restaurant you know my niece mom and, and i mom. yeah mom and mom so there you go cool um so what are you going to be cooking well he asked for what was featured which is our chilangos which is the quesabirria tacos with the consomme mm -hmm. and also yeah. and then also my esquite which is that mexican corn that's cooked in a butter epazote sauce and then the big hype is it's also topped with birria. So you have queso crema, crema and queso cotija, and then the birria. It is awesome. So <laughs> nice and warm, and it's going to go well for the cool. Super Bowl.
And Lev Restaurant Group is celebrating Leap Year with special February 29th offerings at seven of their local establishments, ranging from a $14.29 cocktail called Leap Dave Williams at Golden Tiki to a Wagyu burger with half a bottle of Stag's Leap for 45 bucks at Harlow. Other participating restaurants include Ada's Food and Wine, Al Salito Posto, Double Zero Pie and Pub, Fine Company and La Strega. Fine Company's one, La Strega's another. You can check with those restaurants or their <laughs> social media feeds for any details. So what did, did I, did I mess oh, up my... Not, no, you did a great job going through Guy Fieri's Flavortown tailgate because you spelled it Falvrorutown. Oh, I corrected it on my notes. I did scribble some things in there. Uh, I think that's it, Rich, right? I think we're all done here for this week. Thanks to all our guests, including Alessandra Madeira. I'm going to mess up the pronunciation. I'm sure should have left it to you, but here I go. Stephanie Sanfried, Joe Comiskey, Matthew Jantz, Max Jacobson-Fried, Robert LeMail. Did I mess that one up? LeMail. We love Robert. Sam Pulliam and Stephen Giroux. Yeah, he did really well. So thank you all for listening. Rich, thank you for being here with me. Gemini, we know that you are just trying to rally and get yourself healthy. It's that time of year. We get two or three of us together. It's a a good, good week, but I can't wait to have the gang all back here soon. So hopefully, Gemini, you get really well soon. Um, On behalf of Gemini and Rich, I'm Al Mancini, thanking you all for listening and reminding you, stay hungry.